Hello, hello. Happy Monday. I am BD. I am your host of Birth and Bloom. If you are a new listener, welcome. And if you are a returning listener, welcome back. I am so excited to share today's episode with you guys and for us to dive in deeper and chat. So grab your headphones, your coffee, whatever it may be, and let's dive into today's episode. Okay, so thank you for joining me and doing this. You're welcome. Uh, um, so can you tell us a little about yourself, like some of your hobbies, what you like to do on the weekends, just kind of give us an idea of who you are? Yes. So first of all, my name is Adrian. You may have already said that. Um, I live on a farm in the middle of nowhere, it feels like most of the time. We have cattle um, and mule named Tito <laughs> and a potbelly pig that sleeps on the dog bed on our porch. Um, it is a very simple life, but one that I love very much. Um, as much as I love to go to town and shop and get good coffee, um, it's nice to retreat back to my little place in the middle of nowhere <laughs> for <laughs> some calm. Um, I enjoy spending time with my daughter. She's two or almost two in February. We love to be outside anytime we can. She would spend all day outside if the weather was right. And for the most part, that consumes my life now. I just passed my real estate exam, and I'm going to start that this coming year. And my husband owns a tile business, so we're hoping to kind of collaborate and maybe flip some homes, um, hopefully in 2022. That is exciting. One, I feel like you have a lot going on for 2022. Plus, you're so busy, I feel like, with farm animals and just your husband's business. You're going to be a real estate agent. And then plus, that takes up a lot of time. So you are one busy person. (laughs) Yes. Anytime my life is simple, as my mom likes to tell me, I like to make it difficult. It could be super simple, you know. I could just stay home and drink coffee, but I like to add difficulty to it. So that's how hey, I roll. There's nothing wrong with that. You just stay busy. Yes. Um, so tell me about how you and your husband met. Like, kind of give us your little love story. <laughs> love story. Um, sorry. <laughs> so we met in high school. Um, We were actually around 15 when we started dating, but before that, we had the same group of friends and kind of hung out all the time. I would say we definitely started out as friends, uh, and he really wanted to date. I would say he asked me out probably 30 times over the length (laughs) of a year. I waitressed at a little pizza place in the town we went to school, and he would come in what felt like every single time I was working and leave gigantic tips Um, in hopes that I would be his girlfriend one day and lucky for him (laughs) finally a year later I gave in and we started dating and this year will actually be well I guess yeah it's our 10th year together but we've been married for five wow so definitely the high school sweetheart story I guess you could say I mean it took him a while to get you but (laughs) (laughs) you know I'm glad that I started dating him because I always felt like he was the goofy nice guy he was the safe boyfriend and I 
had a tendency to go for the rough around the edges men. So <laughs> I'm glad I took the chance. And now you guys have a beautiful daughter. She is precious, has that personality. She's adorable. Yes, she is a lot of fun. She's at a great age right now. Oh, yeah. So I guess with that, like, how long was it um, before you guys decided to grow your family? So I guess it was probably right after we got married that I would have I would have jumped all in and had tons of babies at that point, you know, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think, I think realistically we all see these lives on Instagram and think it looks so easy. So that was what I saw. I was like, Oh my gosh, right when we got married, I want to have babies. I want to have babies, but we really didn't start trying until probably a year later when I was having trouble with what turned out to be endometriosis and the doctors kind of told us, hey, it may be a little difficult for you to get pregnant um, with this endometriosis, but not impossible. So just heads up when you're ready, let us know. We'll, you know, do some scans and go from there. So that kind of was a red flag. We got a little freaked out and we're like, okay, we're no longer going to prevent it um, because, you know, what if it takes years to get pregnant? So at Mm -hmm. that time, we decided to go ahead and start trying. So I guess, did you have any signs um, that you had endometriosis? I feel like this is a topic that many don't talk about or like they don't even know they have it until, you know, they start wanting to have kids or something later on. I mean, so from a very early age, even when my menstrual cycle started at 12, I had terrible periods. I would have awful cramps. Um, that often led to me skipping school because they were just felt debilitating. Uh, I would be nauseous. I would get headaches. Uh, I would be doubled over in pain and nothing. I took helped, not Tylenol, ibuprofen, heat, nothing was working. Um, and it, you know, it was something I dreaded every single month. So I knew that that wasn't normal within reason. Um, mm-hmm. But when I started to notice symptoms of what turned out to be endometriosis, it was irregular periods and almost a stretching, pulling pain in my lower abdomen, um, which later came to be basically the tissues that form, um, you know, and attach to different parts of your uterus, your uh, lining, anything like that. And so it was actually that tissue that had formed that was literally pulling and I could feel that pain. Um, and now it makes sense, but at that time it didn't. Um, but that was the first real indicator. Of the endometriosis. Yes. So with that, like once you guys started trying and not preventing, when did you guys realize that you were going to have help from a doctor and um, do more, I guess, testing yeah. and stuff? So at that time... Um, I was seeing just a regular OB who was dealing with my endometriosis. And when we told him we were ready to get pregnant, it was probably near a year following that, um, that we started to think, okay, it is taking a while now. My periods are, we need to figure this out if we're going to conceive. So um, he At that time, when we first discovered the endometriosis, they did the laparoscopic surgery, um, 
where they just went in and like burned off the tissues. And I actually did not feel like I had endometriosis after that, but my periods were still irregular for the following year. Um, And so I started taking Clomid, uh, which is a fertility drug basically, but it regulates periods um, and helps you ovulate. So I did that for about six months. That's not something you want to take long term. Um, And so at that point, we're like, okay, that's not working. What else is going on? They did a, don't quote me on this, but I believe it was like a HSG gram diagram where they um, shot basically dye through my fallopian tubes to make sure that everything was open um, and good to go for conceiving. Everything was fine. No red flags. So we really started to worry at that point. Nothing was happening. We obviously weren't pregnant, but nothing was showing a reason to why we weren't getting pregnant. Um, And that's when we were like, hey, we probably need to check Aaron, make sure everything is okay with him. We did a sperm analysis and it came back zero. And that was kind of when our hearts sank because we knew that wasn't normal. Obviously, sometimes you'll Mm -hmm. get like low motility or Um, not as much sperm present, but it was completely zero. Um, we double checked that a second time to make sure it wasn't a fluke and it came back zero again. And at that point they referred us to a fertility specialist in Tulsa at the time, um, who ran genetic testing. And this was around, I would say three years after we began actually trying that we got the answer, Hey, you have he had the cystic fibrosis gene, not the illness, but he was a gene carrier, which I think is pretty rare, which caused the vas deferens, which is the tube that would carry sperm, um, to not form. So he was essentially born with a vasectomy. Um, the sperm still is created. It just has no mm-hmm. way to get out, if that makes sense. And so yeah. that was a long road, but a blessing when we finally got the answer because you start you know, stressing more so over not, not as much not getting pregnant. I mean, that's obviously still present, but what is causing it? And so it's mm-hmm. a relief to know an answer, even if it's not the one you want. Yeah. Cause that's a long time, three years trying to, you know, from when they told you like, uh, could take a while to like finding out the reason why you guys weren't able to have a baby. So that's a long process and I think a lot of people don't realize sometimes that there is a struggle with having a baby because I was talking to someone yesterday and we were talking about how on social media you see pregnant women or just the like I guess highlights of their moments and so it's like oh wow it's so easy or they have that pregnancy glow or look at them and you don't know their story yeah you definitely I mean Even I forget to this day how difficult that time was in my life. It was so stressful and so overwhelming. But I think just like anything else, even if your birth or your pregnancy is really rough, a few years later, you see how wonderful that toddler is and how much fun they are. And you start (laughs) to forget how difficult that time was, you know? Oh, yeah. But it definitely, social media is, you know, oftentimes dangerous because people only see the highlights or the good things Mm -hmm. um but I'm like okay well I don't necessarily expect people to post the bad spots in their life either but it 
it's that it's important to remember that that is only the highlights that you're looking at so that you're not constantly comparing or wondering, you know, why is their life so perfect? You have to remember when you're looking like this is this is their good days, not their bad. Yeah. Um, And we definitely had a lot of bad ones. I mean, they're not knowing and trying to I think everybody knows that getting a hold of people in the healthcare system is not super fun. Um, staying on top of them for blood work and results. And it's a full-time job just trying to, you know, get appointments and not be pushed out even longer and longer. Mm -hmm. So that was a stress for me because I literally had to stay on top of the doctor's offices because I think, um, they are super kind you know, and loving and, but they get so caught up in their routine that they forget there's a human wanting to get pregnant on the other side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're, the only thing they're doing is answering the phone and booking appointments. But what they don't realize is the person on the other side of the phone has already waited three years to have a baby and doesn't want to wait six months for an appointment, you know? So I think that there is a certain level of understanding that only comes with having gone through it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was tough that there were several really major hurdles, even just finding out what was going on. And then, you know, obviously what came after that was. Yeah. Hard for you. So I guess overall, like, how would you describe your IVF journey? I know that you you just said, you know, that you guys had hurdles that you had to come across when you were trying to figure out what was wrong and then later. Um, so can you kind of share, like, I guess what overall how your IBF journey yes. so was like? I was super disappointed when I found out that was the only option. But at the time, we were kind of told, you know, hey, the zero sperm count could be this, this, or this. And there were worse scenarios. Um, Actually, the scenario that, or the answer that we got was, he does still have sperm. It just has no way to get out. Versus, you know, there could have been none. And then I don't Mm -hmm. know what the option would have been there. So we had to take everything with a grain of salt and look at the positive side of it. It wasn't what we wanted, but it was a good answer. Um, IVF was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I will just put it as that. It was for the entire time building up to when we found out we had to do IVF, I thought that was the worst case scenario. Like, oh my gosh, I don't care what happens. I do not want to do IVF. And then of course, it came to that, hey, we have to do IVF. And I'm, my, you know, my heart sank. It was scary. I knew there were tons of injections and shots that came along with it and medications and, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, for you, correct? Like the shots were for you? Yes, correct. Okay. And so I, looking at it from the outside, it just seemed like the end of the world. I was scared. I was nervous. It was, you know didn't look fun. It wasn't the way it was supposed to be. So I was really bummed. Um, but it really turned out to be a blessing. And I tell everybody that, that finds out they have to do it. Um, it was truly amazing and something of God to be able to watch the process slowly. I think sometimes when people just continuously get pregnant really easily, they miss out on the miracle of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And we got to see it firsthand, you know, up close. We saw 
the sperm put together with my eggs, we saw the embryo photos of it going from different stages every day to blastocyst. And then we literally watched it be transferred into my uterus on screen. Wow. Um, Yes, it was, you know, unreal. And when I look at it that way, we got to do something that, you know, other people don't. We saw life firsthand. And if I think that it really brought us closer to God, because how can you watch something like that and not believe that he exists? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, it's truly amazing. That is just, uh, that's mind blowing to me because that is, I mean, when you put it that way, it, it, it is such a blessing to be able to see that process yes. um, and to see like, hey, that that's what God created and that's, and we're being blessed to be that baby's parents and just the process that it goes through is just unreal. Like you said, like when you see that, like how can you question a god you know right so um I guess what would you what would you tell a mom that is one um you know going through IVF at the moment or about to start that process so the very first thing I'll kind of walk through the process and give you the major points that I felt like were successful for us is that the original um, infertility specialist we saw, we ended up not using for IVF because there were some communication issues in the very beginning. And I knew that it was going to be important to me if I was going to be forking out all of that money and put, you know, this much effort into something that I was able to communicate really well with the clinic I used. Mm -hmm. So very first thing I would do is go to at least two clinics and get a feel for it. Which one do you feel comfortable at? Which one is more accommodating? Um, Even if it's further, we ended up driving three hours further than the, to go to the one who the nurse gave me her personal cell phone to text any questions I had, because that was important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, The next thing is, See if that clinic will allow you, if you're traveling especially, to do some of your monitoring um, at a clinic near your home. So I didn't know in the beginning, and we made a couple trips that we didn't necessarily have to make, or clinics nearby me that could do the scans and send them to the specialist for us that would have um, cut back on at least, I don't know, half of our trips to Texas. So don't be afraid to ask, Hey, can my OB at home collaborate with you so that I don't have to take off work as much or travel as much. That was a big thing that saved us. Cause every time we went there, we had to get a hotel mm-hmm. um, and then gas and miss work. So that was something. Um, call to your insurance, your insurance. Most insurances don't cover infertility, but a lot of them, if you stay on the ball about reporting you know, the issue when it started, how long you've been trying will at least pay for some portion of it. So they're not going to though, unless you stay on top of it. So that was a huge deal. Um, staying organized. I actually bought like a shoe organizer (laughs) for the back of our door in our bedroom for medications. And I labeled every pocket. I actually saw this on Pinterest and it worked so well. 
Um, and I put each medication in there, of course, other than the ones that needed to be refrigerated. Uh, that way we knew where they were and they weren't just, you know, laying on the table in the kitchen when people came over. They were stored away, out of the way, behind the door, but they were organized and ready to go every day. Um, hmm, I'm trying to think of what else. That was a major thing for me because there is so much to it. Staying organized. You have multiple shots a day, multiple pills that you take a day, different dosing changes, appointments, um, two, three times a week. So staying organized and having your medication put away was super important because one mistake and you're thrown off. Um, and that's really nerve wracking. And I'm assuming you have to do all that, like at a certain time, right? Like it's very like, I guess, consistent, like with times. Yes. It was super important to do it around the same time. Um, And then, you know, oftentimes you would have a scan that day and then your dosage would change according to that scan. So you wanted to really, I mean, it, it did get to be overwhelming and confusing and it was important to me to keep it organized, but I also decorated my calendar and made it really fun all over it and colored it with markers so that it didn't just feel like some drag every day you know Mm -hmm. Um, and I marked it off and time flew by that's something I would tell every mother who was going to do it because when you get to that point another 12 weeks feels like eternity but I am telling you right now when you are staying on top of that calendar and those medications you will blink and it will be over and you will be pregnant. So (laughs) So it takes 12 weeks from when they diagnose you to getting pregnant or like how sorry. So when we went in for the consult, um, according to my cycle, they started me on birth control, which is really confusing, but they put you on birth control according to your next cycle because they want to be super certain of when you're going to ovulate and, you know, they Mm want to regulate you really well. So they put you on birth control. I believe I was on the birth control for one month. So that was the four first four weeks. And that was just in preparation. Um, and then it kind of all runs together now. So we did the retrieval, which took eight weeks. And then another four weeks later, we did the transfer. So it was fully 12 weeks. Um, But if you were just doing, see, we did a frozen embryo transfer. um, But some people do a fresh embryo transfer depending on their cycle and what works for them. So Mm -hmm. it would be a little less or more depending on how you went about it that way. But give or take, it's, you can estimate about three months from the start of your first cycle or when you first start. So, um, you know, that was, that felt like, oh my goodness, we have to wait that much longer. And at that time, that really bummed me out. But then, <laughs> but then when it came, I was like, wow, that flew by and now I'm pregnant and I didn't even take the time to prepare because I was so focused on. Yeah. And then your everything. pregnancy flies by super fast. Yes, it and... really did. And you're a little bit. So when you find out you're pregnant after IVF, I th- don't quote me on this, but I think we were like two weeks ahead of what you normally would be when you find out you're pregnant. So six weeks pregnant. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And because I think typically you would be four weeks when, mm-hmm. when you get a positive pregnancy test. So I think you were two weeks ahead of that because they put the embryo in at that stage when they're transferring it. So not only, you know, does it go fast, but you're also ahead 
and you're like, wow, okay, I can start telling family in a few weeks, you know? Yeah, that's crazy how, you know, how fast that is and how, I guess, different because you also have to wait to take a home test, right? Like they prefer you to wait until, I guess, a blood test. Yes, that's correct. So they told me not to. I did not listen. (laughs) Um, And I truly, I follow several women on social media that have gone through IVF and I've never known one of them to wait uh, because it's just once you're to that point, you want to know so bad. And it's a bad idea. It is because you can get false positives, false negatives, you know. Yes. But mine ended up being accurate. Uh, They do prefer you take a blood test to check your HCG and they do three different ones I think every 48 hours they check it and they want it to like double or triple I forget what the numbers are and then after the third blood test they would say okay you are pregnant um however after transfer you are considered pregnant unless proven otherwise um and so you are to you continue like I had to take progesterone shots they just do it as a precaution. I wasn't low or anything, but when you're doing IVF and you've gone through all that, they do it precautionarily. Um, but I took progesterone shots for 12 weeks after the transfer. So I continued to take that. And that, that actually was probably the more difficult portion of IVF for me because though it's an oil shot, it's an oil-based shot. It's really, uh. and the needle is large. And anybody who's gone through IVF knows that you look at that needle and think, am I cut out for this? Uh, Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was, you know, but you get used to it. And my husband was a trooper. He's, he hates needles, but he gave me shots every day. Bless his heart. And he, he, you know, we figured out that heat before helped kind of break up the oil. So that's something important to remember for ladies going through IVF is that we did a heating pad, um, ice and we used witch hazel wipes like the tux cooling pads Mm -hmm. um after and before just because anytime that progesterone would leak out or get on your skin it typically caused me to have a rash and I think that's pretty common so one of the nurses suggested those cooling wipes and it was uh, a lifesaver for us so well I guess now whoever's listening can take that tip (laughs) yes I learned a lot of things you know and definitely by trial and error but I do like to share them because I did have a nurse who answered my text at any time of day hey I have this going on and she would text me back and tell me hey go get tuck spooling pads or I even had like a lump where the oil didn't disperse correctly and you do it like on your upper butt (laughs) where you do the shots and she said okay cut a potato in half and hold it there and the next day the lump was gone Wow. Yeah. So she was wonderful. And I know that not everybody is that fortunate. So anytime I can tell people these things, I'm like this, 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 and this just don't, you know, there are so many options out there to make it not so miserable. Um, And it, it truly wasn't, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. That is the number one thing I wish somebody would have told me it is not as bad as it looks. Yeah. Cause I think sometimes when you hear IVF, you automatically, uh, assume it's going to be really bad or painful or, I mean, I don't know, I guess it, everyone tolerates stuff differently, but yeah, I mean, it was a lot, don't get me wrong, but I was ready to be pregnant. And I think at any point when a woman is there, they're ready to be pregnant and you can withstand a lot when you want something. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just had this terrible idea in my head of what it was going to be like. And every time I would make it past that hurdle, 
it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like the first progesterone oil shot, I cried and cried and cried before my husband gave me the shot. And then it wasn't that bad. And every day after that, it got easier. And then I was used to it at the end, you know, and it was just IVF was kind of like that the whole time. Everything that I thought was going to be just awful ended up not being that way. And that was, you know, nobody can tell you that and believe it, I guess, until Mm -hmm. you've gone through it. But that was the most important thing for me is it was not as bad as I thought. And not, you know, not to say that it works that way for everybody, but it, it worked out good for us. And that made it even more worth it. So, well, Adrian, thank you for sharing your IVF journey. I'm not sure. Is there anything else you want to add? I don't think so. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, money is obviously that's the main concern, I think, with IVF. So I would just tell everybody to prepare for that, you know, but. If you can pay for, as somebody told me, if you can pay for a new car, what mm. price tag can you put on a new baby, you know? Yeah, that's good. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and leave a review, subscribe, share with your friends. That way you guys don't miss out on next week's episode. Thank you guys again so much for listening. I really do appreciate it and I hope you have a good week.